Section 11 of France in the 19th Century. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. France in the 19th Century by Elizabeth Latimer. Chapter 7. Lamartine and the Second Republic. Part 2. On the night of the first day of the provisional government, a mob having demanded that the red flag of communism should be substituted for the tricolore, Lamartine replied, quote, Citizens, neither I nor any member of the government will adopt the drapeau rouge. We would rather adopt that other flag which is hoisted in a bombarded city to mark to the enemy the hospitals of the wounded. I will tell you in one word why I will oppose the red flag with the whole force of patriotic determination. It is, citizens, because the tricolore has made the tour of the world with the Republic and the Empire, with your liberties and your glory. The red flag has only made the tour of the Champ de Mars, dragged through the blood of citizens." Muskets in the crowd were here levelled at the speaker, but were knocked up by the more peaceable of his hearers. There was soon great discontent throughout the departments because of the imposition of a land tax. But as Lamartine said truly, farmers would have found war, or the triumph of the Red Republicanism, more expensive still. On March 17, about three weeks after the departure of the King, a great socialist demonstration was made in Paris. Large columns of men marched to the Hôtel de Ville, singing the old revolutionary chant of Ça ira. Le Dru Rollin, in the fullness of his heart, seeing these one hundred and twenty thousand men, all marching with some discipline, said to his colleagues in the council-chamber, Do you know that your popularity is nothing to mine? I have but to open this window and call upon these men, and you would every one of you be turned into the street. Do you wish me to try it? Upon this, Garnier Pagès, the finance minister, walked up to Le Dru Rollin, and presenting a pistol said, quote, If you make one step toward that window, it shall be your last. Le Dru Rollin paused a moment and then sat down. The object of the demonstration was to force the provisional government to take measures for raising and equalizing wages, and providing state employment for all out of employ. The main body was refused admittance into the Hôtel de Ville, but a certain number of the leaders were permitted to address the provisional government. To Le Dru Rollin's and Louis Blanc's surprise, they found that half of these leaders were men they had never seen before, more radical radicals than themselves, that revolutionary scum that rose to the surface in the reign of terror and the Commune. A sense of common danger made Le Dru Rollin and Louis Blanc unite with their colleagues in refusing the demand of the deputation that the measures they advocated should be put in force by immediate decrees. Lamartine harangued them, so did Le Dru Rollin and Louis Blanc, and at last the disappointed multitude, with vengeance in their hearts, filed peaceably away. A month later, April 15, another outbreak was planned. The chief club leaders wished it to be headed by Le Dru Rollin and Blanqui, the latter a conspirator in Louis Philippe's time. But Le Dru Rollin refused to serve with Blanqui, having discovered from documents in his office, that of Minister of Justice, that Blanqui had once been a government spy. Quote, well then, said the club leaders, since you decline to be our chief, you shall to-morrow share the fate of your colleagues. Le Dru Rollin, after a terrible night of vacillation, resolved to throw himself on Lamartine's generosity. He went to him at daybreak and told him of the impending danger. At once Lamartine sent him to call out the National Guard, while he himself summoned the Garde Mobile. The National Guard had been reorganized, but there were no regular soldiers in Paris. They had been sent away to satisfy the people. The commander of the National Guard, however, refused to let his men be called out on the occasion, and Lamartine, on hearing this, went to the Hôtel de Ville alone. But help came to him from an unexpected quarter. 
General Changarnier, who had been appointed ambassador to Berlin, called at Lamartine's house to return thanks for his appointment. Madame de Lamartine told him of the danger that menaced her husband, and he repaired at once to the Hôtel de Ville. There he found only about twelve hundred boys of the Garde Mobile to oppose the expected two hundred thousand insurgents. He drew his Garde Mobile into the building, and prepared to stand a siege. There, from early morning till the next day, Lamartine remained with Marast, the mayor of Paris. He says that he harangued the mob from thirty to forty times. The other members of the government remained in one of the public offices. With much difficulty the National Guard, whose organization was not yet complete, was brought upon the scene. The procession of the insurgents was cut in two, the commander of the National Guard employing the same tactics as those which the Duke of Wellington had used a week earlier when dealing in London with the Chartist procession. The result was the complete discomfiture of the insurgents. A few days afterwards the members of the provisional government sat twelve hours, on thrones erected for them under the Arc de Triomphe, to see Garde Mobile, National Guards, troops of the line, and armed workmen file past them, all shouting for Lamartine and order. It was probably the proudest moment of Lamartine's life. In that flood-tide of his popularity he easily could have seized supreme power. All through the provinces disturbances went on. The object of the Red Republicans had at first been to oppose the election of the National Assembly. So long as France remained under the provisional dictatorship of Lamartine and his colleagues, and the regular troops were kept out of Paris, they hoped to be able to seize supreme power by a coup de main. The National Assembly was, however, elected on Easter Day, and proved to be largely conservative. The deputies met May 4, the anniversary of the meeting of the States-General in 1789, fifty-nine years before. Its hall was a temporary structure, erected in the courtyard of the Palais Bourbon, the former place of meeting for the Chamber of Deputies. There was no enthusiasm in the body for the Republic, and evidently a hostile feeling towards the provisional government, which it was disposed to think too much allied with Red Republicanism. Two days after the Assembly met, the provisional government resigned its powers. To Lamartine's great chagrin, he stood not first but fourth on a list of five men chosen temporarily to conduct the government. Some of his proceedings had made the Assembly fear, very unjustly, that he shared the revolutionary enthusiasms of Le Dreux-Rollin. It was soon after apparent that ultra-democracy in France was not favoured by the majority of Frenchmen. The socialists and anarchists, finding that they could not form a tyrant majority in the Assembly, began to conspire against it. While a debate was going on ten days after it assembled, an alarm was raised that a fierce crowd was about to pour into its place of meeting. Lamartine harangued the mob, but this time without effect. His day was over. He was received with shouts of, quote, You have played long enough upon the lyre. A bas, Lamartine! End quote. Le Dreux-Rollin tried a harangue in his turn, but with no better effect. The hall was invaded, and Lamartine, throwing up his arms, cried, quote, All is lost. End quote. Barbès, the man who led an émeute in 1839, and whose life had been spared by Louis-Philippe through the exertions of Lamartine, led the insurgents. They demanded two things, a forced tax of a milliard, that is a thousand million, of francs, to be laid on the rich for the benefit of the poor, and that whoever gave orders to call out the National Guard against insurgents should be declared a traitor. Quote, "'You are wrong, Barbès,' cried a voice from the crowd. Two hours' sack of Paris is what we want.'" After this, the President of the Assembly was pulled from his chair, and a new provisional government was nominated of fierce Red Republicans. Not red enough, however, for the crowd, which demanded socialists and anarchists redder still. 
by this time some battalions of the national guard had been called out at sight of their bayonets the insurgents fled but concentrated their forces on the hotel de ville this again they evacuated when cannon were pointed against it and the cause of order was won general cavaignac who had just come home from algeria was made war minister and the clubs were closed louis blanc was sent into exile the orleans family which had been treated considerately by lamartine was forbidden to return to france the assembly was now dissolved and a new chamber of deputies was to be chosen in june among the candidates for election was prince louis napoleon he had already in the days of lamartine's administration visited paris and had replied to a polite request from the provisional government that he would speedily leave the capital that any man who would disturb the provisional government was no true friend to france now he professed to ask only to be permitted to become a representative of the people saying that he had quote, not forgotten that napoleon before being the first magistrate in france was its first citizen end quote. then cries of vive l'empereur began to be heard louis napoleon's earliest idea had been that france needed an emperor whose throne should be based on universal suffrage to this idea he added another that it was his destiny to be the chosen emperor no one in these days can conceive the hold that the memory of the first napoleon had in eighteen forty eight on the affections of the french people that he put down anarchy with an iron hand was by the anarchists forgotten he was a son of the revolution his marches through europe had scattered the seeds of revolutionary ideas the heart of france responded to such verses as beranger's grand-mère in vain lamartine represented the impolicy and unfairness of prescribing the orleans family while admitting into france the head of the house of bonaparte louis napoleon was elected deputy by four departments but he subsequently hesitated to take his seat fearing he said that he might be the cause of dissension in the assembly the deputies from paris were all socialists but those from the departments were frequently men of note and reputation the country members were nearly all friends to order and conservatism the first necessary measure was to get rid of the national workshops on june twenty one hundred and twenty thousand workmen were being paid daily two francs each only two thousand of whom had anything to do while fifty thousand more were clamouring for admission of course any measure to suppress the national workshops or to send home those who had come up to paris for employment in them was opposed by the workmen it was computed that among those employed or rather paid by the state for doing nothing were twenty-five thousand desperate men ready for any fight and that half this number were ex-convicts the government had nominally large forces at its command but it was doubtful how far its troops could be relied on on june twenty two eighteen forty eight at nightfall the struggle began by morning half paris was covered with barricades it was very hard to collect troops but cavaignac was a tried soldier he divided his little force into four parts it was not till the evening of the twenty-third that hostilities commenced and at the same time general cavaignac was named by the assembly dictator this inspired confidence cavaignac was well supported and acted with the greatest energy the street fighting was fiercer than any paris had ever seen and no real success was gained by cavaignac till the evening of the twenty-fourth after twenty-four hours of hard fighting that success was the storming of the church of saint geneviève called also the pantheon and the destruction of its walls but still the fight went on many generals were wounded cavaignac used his cannon freely and even his bombs it was night on june twenty sixth before the troops could be pronounced victorious and then they had not stormed the most formidable of the barricades that of the rue du faubourg st antoine 
says sir archibald allison quote, but ere the attack on this barricade commenced a sublime instance of christian heroism and devotion occurred which shines forth like a heavenly glory in the midst of these terrible scenes of carnage monseigneur affre archbishop of paris horror-stricken with the slaughter which for three days had been going on resolved to attempt a reconciliation between the contending parties or perish in the attempt having obtained leave from general cavaignac to repair to the headquarters of the insurgents he set out dressed in his pontifical robes having the cross in his hand attended by his two chaplains also in full canonicals and three intrepid members of the assembly deeply affected by this courageous act which they knew was almost certain death the people as he walked through the streets fell on their knees and besought him to desist but he persisted saying it is my duty a good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep at seven in the evening he arrived at the place de la bastille where the fire of musketry was extremely warm on both sides it ceased on either side at the august spectacle and the archbishop bearing the cross aloft advanced with his two priests to the foot of the barricade a single attendant bearing a green branch preceded the prelate the soldiers seeing him advance so close to those who had already slain bearers of flags of truce approached in order to give him succour in case of need the insurgents on their side descended the barricade and the redoubtable combatants stood close to each other exchanging looks of defiance suddenly a shot was heard instantly the cry arose of treason treason and the combatants retreating on either side began to exchange shots with as much fury as ever undismayed by the storm of balls which incessantly flew over his head from all quarters the prelate advanced slowly attended by his chaplains to the summit of the barricade one of them had his hat pierced by three balls but the archbishop himself almost by a miracle escaped while on the top he had descended three steps on the other side when he was pierced through the loins by a shot from a window the insurgents horror-struck approached him where he fell staunched the wound which at once was seen to be mortal and carried him to a neighbouring hospital when told that he had only a few minutes to live god be praised he said and may he accept my life as an expiation for my omissions during my episcopacy and as an offering for the salvation of this misguided people with these words he expired as soon as the archbishop's death was known the insurgents made proposals to capitulate on condition of a general pardon this cavignac refused saying that they must surrender unconditionally the fight therefore lasted until daybreak then the insurgents capitulated and all was over no one ever knew how many fell six generals were killed or mortally wounded ten thousand bodies were recognized and buried and it is said that nearly as many more were thrown unclaimed into the seine there were fifteen thousand prisoners of whom three thousand died of jail fever thousands were sent to cayenne thousands to the galleys this terrible four days fight cost france more lives than any battle of the empire the insurrection being over and cavignac dictator the next thing was for the assembly to make a constitution this constitution was short-lived a president was to be chosen for four years with re-election as often as might be desired he was to be elected by universal suffrage he was to have a salary of about one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars per annum and he was to have much the same powers as the president of the united states there were two principal presidential candidates prince louis napoleon who had taken his seat in the assembly and cavignac who had the power of government on his side and was sanguine of election the prince proclaimed in letters and placards his deep attachment to the republic and denounced as his enemies and slanderers 
all those who said he was not firmly resolved to maintain the constitution the result of the election showed louis napoleon to have had five and a half millions of votes cavaignac one and a half million lamartine who six months before had been a popular idol had nineteen thousand an early friend of louis napoleon who seems to have been willing to talk freely of the playmate of her childhood thus spoke of him to an english traveller he is she said a strange being his mind wants keeping a trifle close to his eyes hides from him large objects at a distance the great progress in political knowledge made by the higher classes in france from eighteen fifteen to eighteen forty eight is lost on him when we met in eighteen thirty six after three years separation i was struck by his backwardness in political knowledge up to eighteen forty eight he never had lived in france except as a child or a captive his opinions and feelings were those of the french masses from seventeen ninety nine to eighteen twelve though these opinions had been modified in the minds of the higher classes they were in eighteen forty eight those of the multitude who despise parliamentary government despise the pope despise the priests delight in profuse expenditure delight in war hold the rhine to be our national frontier and that it is our duty to seize all that lies on the french side the people and he were of one mind i have no doubt that the little he may have heard and the less that he attended to from the persons he saw between eighteen forty eight and eighteen fifty two about liberty self-government economy the supremacy of the assembly respect for foreign nations and fidelity to treaties appeared to him the silliest talk imaginable so it would have appeared to all in the lower classes of france so it would have appeared to the army which is drawn from those classes and exaggerates their political views Quote, the prince president is romantic impulsive and bizarre said one of his officials to the same english gentleman indolent vain good-natured selfish fearing and disliking his superiors he loves to excite the astonishment of the populace as a child he liked best bad children as a man bad men but one good quality he had preeminently no man was ever more grateful for kindness or more indulgent to his friends such was the man untried uneducated in french politics covered with ridicule and even of doubtful courage whom the voices of five and a half millions of french voters called to the presidential chair it was to the country louis napoleon had appealed to the rural population of france as against the dangerous classes in the great cities paris had for sixty years been making revolutions for the country now it was the turn of the provincials who said they were tired of receiving a new government by mail whenever it pleased the parisians to make one paris contained one hundred and forty thousand socialists besides anarchists and red republicans with these the rural population had no sympathy louis napoleon was not chosen by their votes nor by those of their sympathizers in other great cities his success was in the rural districts alone his election was a great disappointment to the assembly and from the first moment the prince president and that body were antagonistic to each other the president claimed to hold his powers from the people and to be in no way under the control of the assembly the assembly was forever talking of deposing him of imprisoning him at vincennes and so on immediately after his election the prince president found it very difficult to form a cabinet after being repulsed in various quarters he sent a confidential messenger to lamartine asking him to meet him by night on horseback in a dark alley in the bois de boulogne after listening to his rival's appeal for assistance in this emergency lamartine frankly told him that for various reasons he felt himself to be not only the most useless but the most dangerous minister a new government could select i should ruin myself without serving you the prince seemed grieved Quote, 
with regard to popularity he answered with a smile i have enough for both of us Quote, i know it replied lamartine but having as i think given you unanswerable reasons for my refusal i give you my word of honour that if by to-morrow you have not been able to win over and to rally to you the men i will name i will accept the post of prime minister in default of others before morning the prince-president had succeeded elsewhere but he retained a sincere respect and regard for lamartine who after this incident fades out of the page of history he lived a few years longer but he was oppressed by pecuniary difficulties from which neither his literary industry nor the assistance of the government nor the subscriptions of his friends seemed able to extricate him several times milly the dear home of his childhood was put up for sale by his creditors it was more than once rescued on his behalf but in the end was sold lamartine was buried with national honours but among all the chances and changes that have distracted the attention of his countrymen from his career he does not seem to have received from the world or the french nation all the honour praise and gratitude that his memory deserves louis napoleon who had all his life dreamed of being the french emperor though he took care to repudiate such an idea in all his public speeches had not been president of the republic six weeks before he read a plan for a coup d'etat to general changarnier who utterly refused to listen to it we need not here dwell on the struggles that went on between the prince president and the assembly from december eighteen forty eight to november eighteen fifty one it is enough to say that the chamber from being the governing power in france found itself reduced to a mere legislative body much hampered by the mistrust and contempt of the executive its members of course hated the man at the elysee or celui-ci as they called him the socialists hated the assembly even more than they hated the president the army was all for him the bourgeoisie were thankful that under his rule they might at least find protection from socialism and anarchy from the election of prince louis to the coup d'etat in december eighteen fifty one there were four serious emeutes in paris and once the city was in a state of siege it was estimated that to put down the smallest of these revolts cost two hundred thousand dollars foreign nations were too busy with their own affairs in eighteen forty eight to have time to meddle with the government of louis napoleon indeed russia and prussia were much obliged to him for keeping out the orleans family whom they by no means wished to see on the french throne one thing that louis napoleon did to gain favour with the country party caused great indignation among genuine republicans and indeed throughout europe this was the part he took against the republic of rome pio nono having been elected pope in eighteen forty six had started on his career as a liberal pontiff and ruler but before eighteen forty eight he had disappointed the expectations of all parties and had fled from rome to gaeta where ferdinand king of the two sicilies commonly known as king bomba had also taken refuge lamartine at the time his power ceased had been fitting out a french army to lend help to the romans if they should be attacked by the austrians and if need were to protect the pope who before his flight was supposed to be opposed to austrian domination louis napoleon ordered general Oudinot, who commanded the french forces to disembark his troops at civita vecchia and either to occupy rome peaceably or to attack the revolutionists a battle was fought and the french worsted but they ended by gaining the city and holding it putting down the roman republicans and handing the city over to austrian and papal vengeance on pio nono's return the new president anxious to strengthen his popularity in the provinces made several tours everywhere as the nephew of his uncle he was received with wild enthusiasm he was not a man to captivate by his manners on public occasions neither was he a ready speaker but he looked his best on horseback 
and above all there was in his favour among the middle class of frenchmen a very potent feeling the dread of change as a deputy before his election by the country as its president he used to sit in the chamber silent and alone pitied by some and neglected by all silence indeed was necessary to his success for quote, silent and smoking he matured his plans end quote. one of the first things he did when he became president was to attempt to get possession of all papers in the archives concerning his conduct at strasbourg and boulogne there had been a new assembly elected it had few of the old republican leaders in it but the left and the right and half the centre were opposed to the prince-president the left in the french chamber means the red republicans the right those members who are in favour of monarchy the centre the moderates who are willing to accept any good government one of the objects of this assembly which foresaw that a coup d'etat might be at hand was to get command of a little army for its own protection it appointed as commander of this force general changarnier with whom the prince-president had recently quarrelled and designated four of its members whom it called kesters to look into all matters relating to its safety the constitution was to be revised by this assembly nobody cared much about the constitution which had not had time to acquire any hold on the affections of the people and louis napoleon had recently acquired popularity with the turbulent part of the population of paris by opposing a measure calculated to restrict universal suffrage and to prevent tramps aliens and ex-convicts from voting at elections the prince-president who wanted for his own purposes as large a popular vote as possible was opposed to any restrictions on the suffrage such was the condition of things on november twenty sixth eighteen fifty one when louis napoleon summoned the principal generals and colonels of the troops in and around paris to meet him at the elysee at this meeting they all swore to support the president if called upon to do so and never to tell of this engagement they kept the secret for five years meantime the assembly on its part was hatching a conspiracy to overturn the president and send him to a dungeon at vincennes while all who refused to support its authority were to be declared guilty of treason the three men called the generals of the army of africa namely cabagnac changarnier and la mauricière were opposed to the prince-president they were either republicans or orleanists thus the crisis approached each party was ready to spring upon the other again france was to experience a political convulsion and the party that moved first would gain the day end of chapter seven end of section eleven